Well, let's take our Bibles and let's turn to Proverbs chapter 1 this morning. Proverbs chapter 1. And uh, I promise that's the last time I'm going to put those cute kids in front of you to begin my message for a little bit. They always kind of tug at my heart. And so I come up this morning with a little bit of emotion and thanking the Lord for this series that we've been in called Going Orange. And I've laid sort of a theological, biblical foundation for how the church needs to be bright and we need to be about the gospel and we need to be a great influence for the sake of the coming generations. And then I've been helping us focus in on the heart of the home and how each of us in our roles as children, as sons and daughters, as fathers and mothers and grandparents, all of us in the family of God in our homes have an opportunity to impact the coming generations And if we will line up our efforts and we'll work together, it can make a big difference. I was uh, back in the nursery area before both services. Uh, That's where I met the parents for each of our dedication services this morning. And I watched parents bring their children in. And it just just reminded me of the importance of volunteers. We have to have people who will be willing to, uh, to sit with those precious children And sometimes they're not so precious. And sometimes they're a challenge. And we need volunteers. And we need volunteers who will be there uh, on time. We need you to show up early too. And be there to welcome these parents with a smile. And I watched some of these parents coming in. And they needed a smile this morning. And so we need folks working with the coming generations. And you may think, well, I'd rather be in there to hear the pretty music. And I'd rather hear the preaching and some of those things. And and I, I love having you in here. But God is mindful and thoughtful of the coming generations. He's thinking about that. And we've seen that through these scriptures. Now Solomon is writing a book of all the the smart things he's figured out and been taught and he's learned from the Lord. And we know Solomon was incredibly wise. And he writes these words according to chapter 1. He writes them really for his Children. He writes them for his sons and his daughters and his sons' sons and his daughters' daughters. He's thinking about the coming generations. So let's join him in verse 7 and see where he goes with this. He says, The fear of the what? The Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Let me just lay it right there, he says, sons and daughters. I'm going to tell you a lot of cool things. I'm going to give you a lot of principles for living. It's worthless apart from the foundation of a right relationship with your Creator, with the one who has made the promises, with the one who delivered us out of Egypt, the one who is going to send the Messiah, he says, it is your understanding and your fear and appreciation for the Lord that is the true beginning of wisdom. What our coming generations need more than anything is a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is the foundation. And so he says it is the beginning of all of this. Fools despise wisdom, however, and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And then I'm going to focus here this morning. And fathers, by the way, last week, it's kind of quiet as you were walking out. You know, Normally I get a lot of high fives. Great message. Last Sunday was sort of... I don't know if it was a bad sermon, but I, I think it was because I walked out with my toes stepped on it. It's, and as a dad, it's easy, and as a man, it's easy for me to get up and just hammer away at men. But today I'm going to talk to the women. 
And I am prayerful about this because I am not one of your clan. And, uh, but the Lord has much to say to you. You are unique. And you have expectations on the same level. You are a part of his kingdom. And, and listen to the importance Solomon says. He says, hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's instruction. This is an orange book. He says, I'm going to give you the fear of the Lord. That's the light of the church. Now we need the instruction from the father and we need an instruction from the mother. He says, this is the combined influence. Don't forget it, son. They are like a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Don't forget them. And so he gives this wonderful book of Proverbs. There's 31. You can read one a day. It's a great monthly chore, great monthly opportunity. So we want to think about the mother this morning, the mother's instruction. So let's turn to chapter 31. Chapter 31 is the instruction of, I believe, Solomon's mother to him. He has remembered it. He has put it in this book. He memorized it. She made it easy for him to memorize because she made an acrostic out of this lesson. Each of these verses, each of these descriptions of a godly woman begins with each consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now that wasn't just to be cool. It was so that her son would remember what she taught him. A. This is what you're looking for. B, this is what you need. And so she forms this acrostic. But let's look at Proverbs 31, verse 1. The words of King Lemuel. Now, a lot of scholars, I would say the majority of scholars believe that is another name, another reference for Solomon. Most of the Proverbs come to us by virtue, by way of Solomon. It is an oracle which who taught him? His mother taught him. And so this is Solomon, and Lemuel means one who's set apart or ordained for God, dedicated for, to God. And if this is his mother, this is Bathsheba, and she has dedicated him to God, and now she's teaching him something. And look how she starts, verse 2. What are you doing, son? What are you doing, my son? Look at how you live your life. Think about what you're doing. And then she says, what are you doing, son of my womb? And then he says, what are you doing, son of my vows? Now, that's an interesting combination of sentences there because it's almost like she says, all right, you're my son legally. You're in my family. You're my son physically. You're son of my womb. But then she says, I want you to understand and remember, you're the son of my vows before God. You're a son of my prayers. You are a son who has been dedicated, just like these parents. You've been dedicated in the presence of the Lord. I committed myself to raise you up in the fear of the Lord. You are the son of my daily, passionate prayers. That's where it starts, isn't it? The coming generations need moms and dads that take their children and their responsibilities incredibly seriously. And you realize... I stand before God. This is my responsibility. You're the son of my vows. So she jumps right into her lesson, and she says, verse 3, 
I'm going to start right where, right where is going to be your greatest potential downfall. Do not give your strength to women. Now, he's not saying don't get married, don't like, don't like girls or anything. She's saying you're going to have the potential, just like the first seven chapters of, uh, of this book says, where you've got to avoid the, the temptations that are out there, and, and you are going to be attracted to the opposite sex, and it is going to distract you. Don't give your strength away to women. And then he says, it is not for kings to give your strength away to, to wine. So, uh, you know, she's going down the list, then gets through verse 9 where she tells him to be a good king and all of that. But then the rest of the chapter is dedicated to one thing. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. He says this. She says this. And now, this is Solomon writing, but he's writing an acrostic he memorized. This is a lesson taught to him by his mother. And his mother says this. An excellent wife is going to be very hard to find. An excellent wife, who can find? Here's how valuable and this is how rare they are. They are far more precious than jewels. So what does a woman like that look like? Now, I would listen up here if I were a young man, all right? And you're thinking about getting married. You like girls? You're thinking about getting married? You're thinking, you're heading into that. I would listen up because this is a woman telling her son, an experienced mom, telling her son, the king, all right, I'm going to give you a model to look at, and this is what you look for. In your future wife. So if you're a young man here, listen up. All right, if you're a married man, this is what you this is a matter of your prayers. This is a matter of your encouragement. If you've got a wife, she's sitting by you, or she's in another, she's in another room, mine's over there teaching college freshmen, and I'm uh, this is the this is the area of my prayers. I pray this is the kind of wife I want to encourage her to be, and that she is, and, and as she is, you praise her and encourage her and all of that kind of that kind of thing. And if you're a lady, this is the kind of model you want to look at. Because the world is going to offer you some models, ladies. They're going to offer you models that are airbrushed, right? They're going to give you how you're supposed to look. They're going to tell you what you're supposed to wear. The culture is very good at that. And then you have this innate sense to where you look around and you know what the other ladies around you look like and are wearing. The guys... We don't really know. Guys, look around. We don't notice this kind of thing quite as much as you do. But you are innately sensitive to your environment, and the world's going to put up, prop up models, whether it's a Vogue magazine or Reader's Digest. I don't know what it might be that you just look at, and you think, that is what I want to look like. That's what I want to be like. And you have to be very careful. This is the Word of God. This is from woman to woman to you today. It's coming through Solomon by virtue of memory, through this male pastor's mouth, this is the model a woman is giving to a woman. This is an orange woman. This is a godly lady. What marks her? What sets her apart? Well, what do you want to set you apart, ladies? What do you want to be known for? Well, as you look through this, you'll see... I, I see five generalized areas. The first is her heart. Her heart. 
and her heart, it says of this. And this is the culminating statement. Look at verse 29. This is the, the, the overarching statement. And this comes from the husband of a woman like this. And this is, she was saying, Solomon, listen, king, you want to marry this kind of lady who, when it's all said and done, this is what her family and her husband says about her. Many women have done excellence, excellently, but you surpass them all. And here's, a, here's an overarching statement. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. Nothing wrong with charm. Nothing wrong with vain, but it can deceive you. And you can get all wrapped up in it. He says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman who fears the Lord. Remember chapter 1? What did he say to his son? The beginning of knowledge is what? The fear of the Lord. Now in chapter 31, the mother's teaching. The, The mother's teaching is son a woman who will be praised, the kind of model woman at the foundation of everything. Don't look at the charm. Don't look at the beauty. That's great. That's awesome. But that is not what you want to look at first. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now let me just pause here and talk about what the fear of the Lord is. What is the fear of the Lord? That's kind of an Old Testament terminology. We don't have it as much in the New Testament, but it is absolutely an important concept. And I love to, I preach grace and I preach that we stand forgiven in the presence of God. So obviously the fear that's being talked about is not a, a fear of retribution for our sinfulness. It's not a fear that we're going to be cast, body, soul, and spirit, uh, eternal flames. It's not a fear of that. We stand forgiven in the presence of God through the blood and sacrifice of Christ. That's why we trust Christ. He loves us. And so we... but. Here's the deal. When you trust Christ, ladies, you become a daughter of God. You go from being an enemy of God to a daughter of God. You say, well, that's great. I want to be a daughter of God. But here's the deal. He is a faithful, just, and loving Father who will not allow you to live in disobedience and sin. He's going to discipline you. There's a certain amount of reverence you still need to have because he's 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 your father, and he's absolutely, perfectly loving. He's done incredible things for you. And so there is this, the fear of the Lord is a, a reverent appreciation and love for a father who loves you immeasurably, but who loves you enough not to leave you in your rebellion and your sin. And so there's a, there's a little bit of healthy fear Not a fear of retribution, but a fear of discipline. A fear of, I want to please God and walk in such a way that it honors what He's done for me. Say amen if that makes sense, if you're tracking with me. It's understanding He's the creator, we're the creation. It's understanding He's the father, we're the children. He's the master, we're the servants. It means to respect God for who He is, to listen carefully to what He says, to obey His word. So that's the fear of the Lord. And it is a healthy relationship. And here in the, in the, in the New Testament sense, here's what happens. As is, is a, is a lady will come to understand, there's a God who's created me, and I am sinful. I need a Savior. That initial fear of the Lord drives you to who? 
Jesus. Then you become a Jesus person. So guys, number one on your list for an A to Z, orange woman, number one, she's a follower of Jesus because she has a healthy understanding of who God is. She knows she needs a Savior. And she follows him out of love, appreciation, and reverence for who he is. Start there, King Lemuel. Don't look over that. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. And then there will be ladies, though, that say, look at my charm. Look how pretty I am. Look how I've got my act together. Look at my home. Look at everything. I'm just successful in this world. And God is saying, and Solomon's mom is saying, but the heart is the first thing. The heart that trusts Christ, follows Christ, fears the Lord, is where you start. Now, where do you look next after that? Well, let's look to the next verse. Look down at uh, verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does her husband good and not harm all the days of her life. The kind of woman that she that is a, a an orange woman is a woman who out of a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ, a fear of the Lord, is willing to become a follower of her husband. Not, not because her husband's the foundation of her life, but because Christ is the foundation of her life. And out of that reverence for the Lord, she honors a man who sometimes is dishonorable. And she honors him and blesses him. Are you a blessing to your husband? What does that look like? She does him good. And he will trust her in his heart. What will he trust you with? He ought to be able to trust you with anything. The first thing he ought to be tr- able to trust you with, ladies, is with, with his feelings. With who he is as a man, his manhood. Because you, like no one else, have the capability to attack that. Can he trust you with his heart and his feelings? Can he trust you with his finances? Can he trust you with that? Or is it always a battle? Can he trust you implicitly with his finances? Can he trust you with his children? And so, this wise mom says, Solomon... Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. Find a woman who fears the Lord and who will honor her husband. Ladies, that ought to be just a daily prayer. A daily prayer. Out of my right relationship with Christ, help me. Give me strength to live in right relationship with my husband in such a way that it brings him honor. Look at these verses. I love this. It says that... uh, Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates. What are the gates? So that's the gates of the city. That's where all the guys hung out, all important guys would hang out there. And, and they would say, man, that, that, that Chauncey's got a great wife. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Her children, verse 28, rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. 
So look to her heart first. Look at her husband. The world's going to say, look at her hair. Look at her figure. Look at her bank account. Look at how much money she can make. Look how smart she is. God says, look at her heart. Look at the way she'll honor the marriage relationship. Thirdly, look at her, how, at her home, her household. These are words that are repeated. Husband, now there's another word, household or home. And he gives this, this is the lion's share of his talk about her, or, or this mom's talk is he's saying, Solomon, watch the way she cares for and manages the household. And she just lists off all of these things, like verse 15. She rises while it is yet night, provides food for her household, portions for her maidens. Some of y'all are saying, I wish I had some maidens. She is not afraid of snow. Some of you are thinking, I wish I had some snow. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. She looks well, verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Um, it's amazing the difference. One of the key differences I've just run into between my wife and I, between in general men and in general women, there are exceptions on both sides, how God has gifted women with an exceedingly large capacity and desire to manage and care for a household and a home. If you want to see that difference in action, just come to one of our men's events run by men. Right? <laughs> then go to a ladies' event run by ladies. Which one would you rather eat at? You know, which one would you rather take some friend or out of town or important person? Which would you... You know, it's because they care about things. They care about managing their home, their children, their, their lives. And it's not an inferior, superior thing. And it's not that the men are like, you have a, a, a God-given capacity to do that. And some of you are thinking, I don't, I don't. And I think God sometimes gives you a wonderful partner to help in that area. But, but I think that it ought to be something that, uh, that the, the reason that it is so important, I think, to Solomon's mom is she knows how that well-managed household is such a blessing to those children. How it helps create such a wonderful seedbed for that child to be discipled and grow. A well-managed household brings an internal sense of security to children. When a household is unstable, unkept, out of control... The children, they, not, they don't know how to express it to you. Mom, you need to keep this place together, you know. It's not that they understand. There's a sense of restlessness and unsettledness. And they're looking, they're looking for both the mom and the dad to have a sense of leadership, a sense of stability in that marriage and in that home. And, and Solomon's mom said, watch how she manages her life. That was one of the things I loved about Sarah. Uh, I had knee surgery when I was, uh, before we got married, we were dating out in Texas, and, and I had knee surgery, and my parents were in Richmond. I had no one to kind of help care for me, and she, I just saw how she took care of me and helped me out, and uh, 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 when I had two male roommates, they would have let me die. <laughs> I would have starved to death in my room. My wife 
I just saw she just can manage things so well. I needed that, but I think it is just part of her nature. She's excellent. A fourth thing to look at. This is interesting. The world's going to say, look at her legs. Look at her eyes. Solomon's mom said, watch her hands. Watch her hands. This is cool. She, verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and works with what kind of hands? Willing hands. She seeks wool and flax. A lot of you ladies don't even know what that is. I don't even know what that is. Wool and flax. In our context, it's going to look different than the sewing and all of the different things of those old days, but the attitude is the same. That you, are, you have willing hands. Willing to do what? To serve that family and to serve others. Willing hands. There's an honor in all of that hard work. I read this and just kind of laughed. It was somebody, some lady wrote into Ann Landers years ago. She said, I'm so tired of all those ignorant people who come up to my husband and ask him if his wife has a full-time job. And if she's just a housewife, here's my job description. I'm a wife, mother, friend, confidant, personal advisor, lover, referee, peacemaker, housekeeper, laundress, chauffeur, interior decorator, gardener, painter, wallpaperer, dog groomer, veterinarian, manicurist, barber, seamstress, appointment manager, financial planner, bookkeeper, money manager, personal secretary, teacher, disciplinarian, entertainer, psychoanalyst, nurse, diagnostician, public relations expert, dietitian, nutritionist, baker, chef, fashion coordinator, and letter writer for both sides of the family. I am also a travel agent speech therapist, plumber, and automobile maintenance and repair experts. She said, and this is how far it goes back. This is in 1988. From the studies alone, it would cost more than $75,000 a year to replace me. I'm thinking it's more like $2 million to replace all of that. Willing hands. That is not something to feel like is dishonorable. But, but notice... They're willing um, to give. They're willing to give. It says in verse, um, look at verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Verse 19, she puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. And she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Look at her hands. What kind of hands do you have? Are they willing and giving? Where do those hands connect? They connect to a heart. And where does that heart connect? To a right relationship with God. A right relationship with God. But there's one final thing. She says, Solomon, Solomon, my son. This is, this is the kind of woman you want. A to Z. 
She fears the Lord. She will honor her husband. She'll manage her household. She'll work with willing and give with willing hands. But all that is really supported and the icing on the cake. And really what is, is, is critical to this is the attitude with which she does all of that. Look for a woman. Be a woman who has a happiness settled in a hopefulness in the Lord. Who has a hope when she looks into the future. Because this hopelessness can degenerate all of this. Can pull out the rug from under all of this if you don't have a hope in the future. Now what is hope? Hope's not just a wish. Hope's not just I hope we, you know, I kind of hope it happens. It is a settled confidence that God is in control, that God's working it out for your good, that those children are His children, not just yours, that that marriage relationship is not just about you, it's about honoring Christ. That hopefulness will bring about a happiness and a type of attitude that is so critical in marriage and so critical for the coming generations. Listen to verse 25. What a great verse. She is clothed in Gucci. What does her clothing look like? Strength and dignity are her clothing. And when she looks at the time to come, she laughs. She laughs at the time to come. When she opens her mouth, it, it, it comes forth as wisdom. And the teaching of what? Of kindness is on her tongue. In First Peter, Peter is encouraging the wives to have that kind of hope in God. And he's, he says, you need to model yourself. In 1 Peter 3, 5, he says, For this is how the holy women of old adorned themselves. Ladies, how did they adorn themselves? They, were, they hoped in God. They hoped in God. That allowed them to follow crazy Abraham all over creation. Sarah must have really, really loved Abraham. No. I'm sure she loved Abraham. But what, what allowed her to have that child at 90 years old and follow this crazy Abraham all over creation. He said, God told me to go here. And she's like, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God. Not Abraham. I'm following Abraham, but I'm following him, trusting God, hoping in God. And the angels came and said, You're going to have a baby. <laughs> she laughed. And she hoped. Signs of hopelessness. We all do this, so don't feel like I'm picking on you, but hopeless people have to exercise control over their environment. 
because they don't trust God and they don't trust anybody else. So they have excessive control. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm going to make sure that it goes my way. Nothing bad happens. I'm going to excessively control. We see that in Scripture. You see it every day. Men and women, we do that. You do that. Women, you are incredibly gifted at words. And you will find that one of the signs of hopelessness is trying to control with excessive words. May I encourage you. May I encourage you that as men, we don't need more words. We need more prayer. Excessive words, excessive control, excessive focus on external adornment. I think one of the reasons I've been emotional all day is because of what I see happening in our culture. I have a daughter. You have daughters. I see these marriages. I see women. And I see what the culture says. This is what you need to be and look like. And, and it's, it's the same pressure on guys. And we're being driven off a cliff into a place of great despair if we follow those models. It leads to nowhere. And I just, ladies, I don't want you buying into the world's models. So I present this from Solomon, from his mother, A to Z. And there's going to be a tendency to worry. And excessive worry is a sign that you've, you've lost grip on your hope. That hopefulness. You will have those moments and you will have... Because in some way God designed you ladies to be so loving and caring. And it is natural in separation. It's natural looking into the future to have a bit of worry and anxiety. But it, it can quickly become excessive and sinful. And a sign that you need to turn to the Lord in prayer. And find your hope and your strength in Him. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. Let's say it together. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Then verse 31 says, Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. One of the great tragedies is the lack of appreciation we have on a daily basis. For the women in our lives, in our marriages, in our church. And also the lack of appreciation and love and praise towards the men. And coming out of this series, I would encourage you to not walk out feeling like there's no way I can. That model's too heavy. I can't do that. What's going to help us, what's going to help us is if we will give praise and encouragement. And when you have opportunity, men, when you have opportunity, you give words of encouragement. Ladies, when you have opportunity, we men need that. Say a good job. 
encourage us. Men, encourage that. Give her the fruit of her labor, which is appreciation and praise in the gates. She needs that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage that is so memorable and powerful. It sets before us a beautiful model of a godly woman. And in the context of this series, an orange woman. A woman who fears God, has a relationship with Him, and then brings that into her home, into her friendships. And we work this together for the coming generations. I thank God for the orange women in my life. I thank God for the many that I see here at Westside. I pray for our young ladies as they're growing, that their moms and their dads will point them to this model, will demonstrate it. I pray for our young men as they look for a wife, as they look for someone to love, that they'll, they'll remember the fear of the Lord, the foundation of of that relationship needs to be the same. God, give them wisdom. Wisdom like Solomon wanted for his sons. And Father, we thank you that uh, you've given us your son, Jesus, because we can't live this perfectly. We're, we're alienated from you by our sin, but you allow us to be a part of your family through trust and faith in Christ. I pray, God, if there's any here today that haven't trusted you as their Lord, trusted you for salvation, they would ask for that right now. That you would draw us together as a church to be an orange church, a church that loves families, encourages families, help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.